Hello and welcome to Dr. Scott's Health and Wellness Corner. My name is Christian Lopes. This episode is SAD, the Standard American Diet, Nutrition, Health Management, and Disease Prevention. Our guest for today is Dr. Michael Bivens. Dr. Bivens is the founder of a 501c3 organization, Pride and Strive, which is based out of New Jersey. Pride and Strive mentors students in nutrition, health, wellness, and finances. He's a certified health coach, a certified autoimmune holistic nutrition coach, and he holds a certificate in plant-based nutrition from Cornell University at Dr. T. Colin Campbell's Center for Nutrition Studies. He has a passion for education and nutrition. He believes that his success is measured by the impact he has on others. Hi, I'm T. Lee, and I'm here to introduce Dr. Scott. Dr. Letitia Forster-Scott is the owner and operator of Fusion Fit and Well LLC, which specializes in health and wellness coaching. Dr. Scott is also a professor at Rutgers University in the Department of Kinesiology and Health. Her teaching and research focus on exercise and sports psychology, social issues in sport, and issues of diversity in education, sport, health, and fitness. She has published work in academic journals, books, and she has presented her work nationally regarding African Americans and women in sport, racial and athletic identity, childhood obesity, and multicultural issues in health, sport, and physical education. Dr. Scott also conducts workshops to address healthy living, diversity and inclusion training, and athletic counseling. As an experienced fitness trainer for over 30 years, Dr. Scott has taught fitness classes at many of the fitness clubs in New York and New Jersey. She regularly contributes to community programs which focus on health education, disease prevention, and life skill development. She is a certified personal trainer with the National Academy of Sports Medicine, a certified Zumba instructor, and a member of the American Psychological Association. Please welcome Dr. Scott. Hello, everyone, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm excited to be with you this evening, and I'm absolutely ecstatic to welcome Mr. Dr. Now, Michael Bivens. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So we heard a little bit about your background, um, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm happy to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity. Um, So yeah, as Christian stated, I do have a health coaching certification. I do have a a certificate in plant-based nutrition from Dr. T. Colin Campbell, Center for Nutrition Studies. And um, I have a a certification in autoimmune holistic nutrition coaching. Um, My passion is education. That's that's my passion. Um, For my nonprofit organization, I teach in health and wellness. Um, This is is something that's near and dear to my heart. And, And I've been doing this as far as studying nutrition for over 10 years. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for that. So my first question is, what was the driving force behind your decision to take the holistic and natural approach to health and wellness? Yes, good question. Um, so this began, ironically, like, as I mentioned, 10 years ago, approximately, uh, when you know I, I went to you know the doctor for a routine checkup. And this is what we do all the time. A lot of us, we go for a routine yearly checkup to see how we're doing. Um, and when I went to see my doctor, I was told, and this is in my, so this is in my mid twenties, uh, mid to early twenties, about 10 years ago, I was told that I had um, high cholesterol, dangerously high cholesterol. And with that, um, they, they recommended that I was put on medication right away. 
And for me, as a 20-something year old, um, early in my early 20s, I didn't think that that was, that didn't seem right. <laughs> for me, that didn't seem right. Um, at the time, my mindset was, I thought that, you know, people over the age of 40 and 50 are the ones who would be on medication, not in your 20s or mid-20s, um, especially considering the fact that I worked out a lot. I worked out, uh, one of my close friends is a Division One student athlete. We worked out together a lot. So it was it was shocking to me. Um, that led to me doing more research on you know nutrition as far as healthy healing, healing the body, healing the body without medicine, and and I did and, that, and back then that was my introduction to nutrition. So with those studies and what I looked at, um, I just at the time I had the standard American diet, the SAD diet, and I ate any and everything, um, uh, meat, uh, seafood. And so what I did was I eliminated pork from my diet and I also limited beef. So when I went back to see the doctor, again, this is about maybe a month after, that's when the doctor thought I was on a medication. He was surprised that my cholesterol levels went down, my LDL, which is the bad cholesterol. At the time, it was like one around 160-ish. It went down to like 130-ish, which is still high, but it was still a difference. And from then, I knew I was on to something. And that initially led me to continue studying. Okay, so just for a point of clarity, you mentioned LDL cholesterol. Would you mind giving a brief overview about cholesterol, the different types and what they mean, just so our audience can understand the relationship between this and um, diet? Yeah, absolutely. So there is LDL cholesterol, which is low-density lipoprotein. Um, you have the high, the HDL cholesterol, which that's considered the, the good cholesterol. HDL is considered the good cholesterol, um, high-density lipoprotein. And so you have LDL, HDL, and you have your total cholesterol. So for LDL, anything under 100 is considered optimal. You want to shoot for one, anything under 100. Um, anything 100 to about 129 is actually okay, but it's not optimal. But you are in a decent range. Um, anything really above 130. Now we're starting to look at, okay, what's going on? HDL cholesterol is a little different. You want that to be as high as possible. Uh, an HDL of at least 60 is considered optimal, great. Um, 30, to, 30, to, 30 to 60 or 30 to 50, that's not bad, but you want to get it up more. Um, in total cholesterol, you want to be below 200. So I, um, for me, as I mentioned, when I went to see the doctor, my LDL was at, when, and I just mentioned, 100 to 129 is okay. I was at 160 when I first so the doctor for the first time. Um, and again, eliminating certain products out of my diet, which brought it down to 130, which is still above the 129, right? But even then, um, that was still bad, but that's basically what cholesterol is in a nutshell. Right. So um, what I would like to add to that, um, when I speak to my clients and people in general, and we're talking about cholesterol levels and doctor's visits, is to make sure that you ask them for this information because a lot of times the doctors will perform um, a blood lipid test, they'll take your blood pressure, they'll have your cholesterol levels, but they won't share that information with you. So you have to be clear in asking them for this information and even asking them to please write it down so that you have a method of tracking this and keeping a record of it for yourself so that you can again, monitor your, your, your cholesterol levels as well as your blood pressure levels. So Absolutely. to follow up, yeah. So to follow up, um, you know, there's so much information that comes out 
And I'd like to know, how do you stay up to date with the latest developments and research in your field of nutrition and wellness? Yes, very good question. Um, So anyone who studies nutrition or depending on your field, right, um, it could be science, neuroscience, um, sports, anything, you want to continue to to look at updated research and what comes out. So for me, this, this is for me personally, every single day, every single day. I'm reading research, I'm reading books, I'm looking at videos, I'm doing something to increase my knowledge, because you're right, things change very rapidly, and I want to make sure I'm up to date with updated information. So for the most part, a lot of things are um, not don't change as much. So for instance, um, I, I do follow a plant-based diet, um, greens, and particularly greens, they're really nourishing and, health and healthy for you. So there's not much going to change there, but there are other things that can happen or as far as research. Well, um, that, that may change. So for me, I, I, I make sure I look at updated research every single day, every single day. And I'm not exaggerating with that. I'm just, this is a passion of mine. And I'm, I'm, making sure, I'm making sure everything as far as the information is to my hands and I'm keeping up with it. Okay, so you you mentioned a plant-based diet, and you also mentioned how you cut um, pork and you cut beef from your diet. Can you share with us some basic or some general benefits of a plant-based diet and how it can impact a person's health? Absolutely. I, I will say this. Food is medicine. Food is medicine. If you take anything from today, food is medicine. And what I've come to understand and learn and looking at research, plants heal the body. So the reason why I'm on a plant-based diet is for me, and, and I've had again, I've had my own personal, my personal uh, stories with it, with the cholesterol situation. Um, and even so after years after I had this incident with the cholesterol and then it went down from just eliminating beef and pork, um, my re- the research showed that eliminating animal products in general would be very good and helpful for your cholesterol. So for me, what I did was, okay, so I eliminated um, animal products. And I did my, I was my own case study. I eliminated animal products and I went to get tested for this. And my, and I just remember when I mentioned LDL, and it, yeah, LDL cholesterol, it needs to be under 100 in order for it to be optimal. When I tested for it, my LDL cholesterol after I eliminated animal pro- protein or animal fat or animal foods went down to about 80, 90. So now for the first time in my life, I'm in an optimal level. Total cholesterol was below 200. HDL was about 50, all optimal. So for me, that was something that was very life-changing for me. And in addition to that, I eat cruciferous vegetables, which is your kale, your broccoli, your arugula, that counts as um, Brussels sprouts. The dark leafy greens is the stuff that heals your body because it does way more than just heal heal cholesterol. It, it, It helps with diabetes. It helps with chronic illnesses. It helps with autoimmune diseases. It helps with viruses. And it's studies after studies have shown that this is very beneficial. And that's what led to me on this plant-based diet. So one of the questions I, I get a lot from people when you talk about a plant-based diet is whether or not you can get enough protein if you go on a plant-based diet or go vegan. What are your thoughts on that? That's, that's, that's the star question that everybody asks any vegan or plant-based. Where do you get your protein? Protein, protein. Um, so. Fun fact, fun fact, all plants have protein. All plants have protein. And in addition to that, you have beans, lentils, um, seeds, legumes. This, this, this stuff, 
all has protein. I guess it's you know the we live in a paradigm where we think only animal products have protein, and that's not true. So and that's you get this question. I get this question asked all the time. But all plants have protein, and then you know the average person. So men, particularly men, you want to have about fifty-five grams of protein approximately per day. Women is about forty-five. The standard American diet, you're getting over a hundred grams of protein, and that can be harmful, which research have shown. Having too much protein, right? So animal, uh, so plant-based proteins put you in a right, right range of where you need to be, and ultimately, that's that's something that a lot of people don't know. Okay, so in speaking about um, recommended or those recommended daily allowances. Um, what do you what are your thoughts when it comes to supplements for um, disease management or just daily life? Yes. Um, so supplements supplements can be helpful, and I recommend everybody to talk to their health provider when it comes to supplements or anything of that nature, um, and anything that we talk about. But supplements can be helpful. But what one thing I've learned through research and through studies is there's no need to supplement really anything on a, a healthy diet. Why? Because your plants have all of the vitamins and minerals that you need. Now, there are two. There are only, there are two, with, with, with the exception of two. And that would be vitamin D and vitamin B12. For me, me personally, I take vitamin D and vitamin B12 because they, they are, they're not really readily available in food. So vitamin D, where are you supposed to get vitamin D? Well, the sun. You're supposed to go in the sun and your skin, your body makes vitamin D. Where do you get your B12? B12 is actually, uh, uh, it's like, uh, it's like, it's like, it's like fungus, not fungus. In, in the second, in the soil, there you go, in the dirt. So the reason why people on animals or who eat animal protein gets B12 is because the animals eat the B12 in the soil, in the dirt. So, you know, we, if we're not eating that as plant-based people, then we have to supplement that. So vitamin D and B12 is very essential, um, Outside of that, nothing else really needs to be supplemented. Now, people do take supplements depending on your situation, depending on you know your lifestyle. You may need extra supplement, maybe iron or something like that, or iodine. Um, yeah, but in general, for the general population, no, it's just vitamin D and B twelve. Okay, so um, in speaking of not just what people eat, what do you have to say in regards to the role genetics plays in? disease management? Yes, genetics, genetics. And that's another thing I, I hear a lot. So genetics does play, a, can play a role. But the problem I'm seeing and what I'm noticing and what researchers are noticing is that that's being overly emphasized. So if somebody has a, a history of di- type 2 diabetes, well, they automatically think they, they're prone to get it. If you have you know a history of cancer, oh, well, my, my family has cancer, I'm prone to get it. Um, that again, I'm not going to downplay the genetics, but it's it's overly emphasized. What's really important is how you live your life and your lifestyle. In fact, there was a study, there was an actual study on breast cancer where, it sh- where a study showed that a mom who had breast cancer, right, and when it comes to their their, their daughter, their daughter did not have a correlation as far as um, getting. The, well, obviously, it's in the genes, but the daughter didn't have the, as, as much of a risk as breast cancer as the as the mother may have had. So it shows that it depends on what, you, what you're doing, your lifestyle, and how you're living your life. It can actually affect you. Um, so genetics does play a role. So I don't want to downplay it. However, it's being overly emphasized. And for most part, it's what you're doing in your life. So Yeah. I, yeah. I, I find that um, 
when again when when advising and consulting with people that a lot of times it's important to stress lifestyle um so yes genetics do play a role but if you're growing up in a in a household and you're learning habits from you know the exactly. elders in the household and you're adapting those habits it's more likely those habits that are having more of a significant influence versus genetics by itself. So if you are in an environment, whether it's your household environment, your community environment, and so forth, you're being influenced by those surrounding factors. And those will absolutely play a role in your disease risk and your disease risk prevention. So if you live in a household, live in a community um, where healthy standards are practiced, chances are um, you're going to have healthier outcomes regardless of what your genetics may be. So I think it's important to stress that as well, that, Absolutely. you know, you can have people who have the same genetic background, but if they're raised or if they're exposed to two different environments, um, those environmental factors are going to play a significant role. Um, Absolutely. I wanted to touch base on um, autoimmune disease because... Um, part of this conversation is to address issues related to nutrition and, uh, disease and autoimmune diseases, um, are rampant. Um, we have a high incidence of this in this country, particularly as people age. So if you could briefly just identify a few autoimmune diseases and then how nutrition is related to those illnesses and how nutrition can mitigate or help a person to manage or even help prevent from acquiring or developing autoimmune diseases. Yes, autoimmune diseases. So before I identify certain autoimmune diseases, I'll just briefly explain what it is. Um, so under normal circumstances, right, the immune system can determine which cells in the body are foreign or which are not, you know, not good for you. Um, so when the immune system mistakes the cells and it's host, so in your own body as a foreign or something dangerous, that's when it begins to attack itself. So basically your immune system is, attack, is basically attacking your own body, which is autoimmune disease. So there are some examples of autoimmune diseases, which are celiac disease. You have inflammatory bowel disease, um, hepatitis, type 1 diabetes, uh, Addison's disease, multiple sclerosis, lupus. And there are actually over about 80, about 80 autoimmune diseases that are out there. Uh, with that being said, there, there, there are risk factors for them, right? So there are certain, now research has not, there's no known research to say what causes an autoimmune disease. There's none. Not doctors, researchers have no idea, but they have, they, they have theories. And some of the theories are, you know, exposure to toxins, micro, microbes, allergens. It could be a, a push, your stress levels. Um, if you have high stress levels, your diet, nutrition, that's something that plays a role in autoimmune diseases. Again, no one knows the exact cause and it's specific by person. There are some autoimmune diseases like lupus that runs in families, lupus and multiple sclerosis that runs in families. So studies have shown if one person in your family has lupus, right, the odds of you having some type of autoimmune disease or particularly lupus is higher, similar to multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis. I'm oh, sorry, my tongue <laughs> getting that tongue tied. And also, another fun fact about this is, unfortunately, women are a higher risk of autoimmune diseases. Um, it, it may extremely higher risk. 
and they say it, it's 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 almost like the, the women have like a seventy percent more of a higher risk to get an autoimmune disease compared to men, and there are certain autoimmune diseases such as lupus that runs in, particularly in, in demographics. So African American women are highly more at risk for lupus, uh, and then like I said, there's over eighty autoimmune diseases. But nutrition, healthy lifestyle, does play a, a role in that. So I've heard of people who um, develop autoimmune disease and they work on significantly altering or changing their diet and their symptoms decrease because of or in relationship to the changes that they're making in their diet. So if you could advise someone I know you're not a medical doctor, but just generally, what is some of the um, research indicating in terms of changing a diet to decrease the risk of autoimmune disease or better manage it if you are diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, how diet plays a role? What are some of the changes you would recommend to someone? Simply put, so I have a personal experience with this. So what you, what, you, what you have read and what you have stated just now as far as hearing about people healing or getting better with their autoimmune disease through diet, well, I can tell you firsthand that not only is that true through research, but my wife, my wife is diagnosed with multiple sclerosis uh, about a few years back. And I, this is before we were plant-based. So I, I started out for, obviously with the sad diet. Then I was, um, they call it when you eat only, only fish pescatarian then i turned into plant-based so while i was in the pescatarian phase and i so ms is with multiple sclerosis ms abbreviation it can come in um really between the age of 20 and 40 is when you can really get diagnosed with it so you could get diagnosed at a young age my wife was in her 20s and what we did was another reason why we went plant-based we went 100 percent plant-based eliminated um, all animal products dairy from our diets and we do something called the green blast. And what's the green blast? We um, blend. We blend dark leafy vegetables. And our vegetable of choice is kale. And we add parsley. We add um, we add, we add a banana to it, um, collard greens. But green the green blast has really healed the body. And we know that because after we would do this, and we did this for about a couple of years, she would go back to see her neurologist for MS. And they do you know yearly tests to see how the, pro- the progression is going. So at one point, um, multiple sclerosis can cause lesions can cause lesions in the brain. And when she went back to see her, her neurologist, she's note they noticed that the lesions are disappearing, like they're not as apparent as they were before. And they they're asking us questions like, "What are you doing?" Like, because we're not taking. Well, and I say we as my wife, so it's what we're doing. We're not taking um, any uh, medication or any um, you know any pharmaceutical drug for it. Which, you know, you can. There are drugs out there for that particular autoimmune disease. But we wanted to go the more natural route. And so the doctor asked us what we're doing. How are we healing the body? They're, like, shocked. Like, you know? And, you know, doctors are not trained in nutrition. That's just a fact. Doctors are not trained in nutrition. And I will say it again. Doctors are not trained in nutrition. Doctors may have a class or two in their, in their, in their medical school, but they're not trained. If you notice, they, they refer you to a nutritionist most of the time. For depending on yep. the situation. So, you know, that's that's something that, that we've noticed. And we've noticed that on a, a plant-based diet, and I said plants heal the body. Food is medicine. That going completely plant-based has healed her. And research has shown it will heal a lot of people too. Okay. 
So you make you make a key point that I like to stress here um, in terms of medical training for doctors and nutrition, where many of them do not receive the same level of education as, let's say, a dietitian or nutritionist. They're more specialized in that area versus either a general practitioner doctor or a doctor who may specialize in something else. It doesn't mean that they're specializing in, in nutrition. Um, same thing when it comes to fitness. <laughs> so, we, you know, we have a lot of yeah. doctors who will tell someone, oh, you need to exercise more, but that's pretty much the only information they can give you. Um, but if you right. speak to a fitness professional, someone who's well-schooled in this area, um, they can tell you a lot more and a lot more significant detail about the relationship between exercise and health, exercise and obesity, exercise and disease management, and so forth. So I really like to stress that um, if you are dealing with an autoimmune disease and you're interested in figuring out ways to reduce your symptoms, that you do speak to a nutritionist, that you do speak to a fitness professional, not just the person who likes to work out, but somebody who really understands the physiology behind exercise and this relationship to um, the prevention of, of disease. Um, so we're going to get ready to wrap this up, but I wanted to make sure um, I ask you a couple more questions. Um, what are your thoughts in terms of the influencers that are online, you know, those we find on Instagram and Facebook and so forth, um, where people find a lot of information, but unfortunately that information is often misleading or false. Um, a lot of times you see these things about detox teas and all of this other stuff about, you know, doing a cleanse or whatever. What are your thoughts on this and what would you recommend to the average person when it comes to, um, these so-called social media influences and the information or the misinformation that is out there? Well, I'm going to start with the last part of your question. I highly recommend anybody, anybody seeking information, do your own research. Do your own research. When it comes to social media and it comes to the influencers, it, it does, it's, it hits a core to me personally because I, I, I have a lot of train, training in, well, so my wife is a NASM certified uh, personal trainer and she also, she teaches Pilates. So and I and I know nutrition. So we kind of know a little bit more. And a lot of people who are on social media have zero, as you just alluded to, zero training. So the issue is you're a lot of people recommend supplements or a diet way, and especially that the people who work out, protein. And we just talked about that, right? Protein is like the number one thing that people love to talk about and love to promote. And they, they that that's something that's like it, it bothers me because, you know. To keep it real short, because I could go into this forever, but I'm going to keep it real short. Um, the World Health Organization, the WHO, World Health Organization, they classify um, processed meat as a group one carcinogen, meaning it causes cancer. It says red, and then they also said red meat probably causes cancer. A social media influencer, right, they would post of what I eat in a day, for instance, that's, a, a, that's like the thing that they do. And they have half a million followers or even a quarter million followers, even 10,000 followers, which is a lot. And you're posting a carcinogen, a type 1 carcinogen. And the average person doesn't know much about nutrition, right? They look for social media or something like that. And when you post stuff like that, because the main thing, again, like I said, is protein. And it does have protein. That's the one thing I guess it does have, right? And they look at that, rely on that information, and ultimately you could be killing people. To be blunt, you, could be, you can cause somebody to, you know, to get a, a, a chronic illness by some of these recommendations. And this is why I say it's very important to do your own research. Do not rely on social media. 
you cannot. Or you can go ahead and talk to a dietitian or uh, somebody who's had, who's an expert in his field. That's the best way to go about this. Okay, so um, do you have any go-to uh, resources that you would share that you would say to people, go check this resource out and you find it to be reliable in terms of the information that it provides? What are one or two resources you would recommend? Um, as I mentioned before, the World Health Organization is a good one. That's that because they, they give you basic information um, about certain things that you might want to you might you might, might want to consider avoiding. Um, the CDC is also a good recommend a good place I look. But for me, I also look deep into as far as research. I look at research particularly. Um, so I do like to you know link articles or certain research that I come across depending on the situation. So if somebody comes to me and comes talks to me about an autoimmune disease, for instance. I will go ahead and link an article that I know have, that is very reliable, and this is for multi, This is from um, well-studied researchers who are experts in their field. So there are different resources to this information um, that I like to recommend for my for people for, for people around me. Okay, so do you have any other closing remarks that you would like to share with us? Yes. Well, well, the last thing I want to say is kind of what I started off with. Um, food is medicine. The, the biggest takeaway from everybody listening is to understand what you put in your body can determine if you're going to de- develop a chronic illness or if you're going to be healthy. It determines your gut health. Gut health is extremely important because 70 to 80 percent of your gut health is, is, is your immune system. And that's a fun fact. 70 to 80 percent of your immune system resides in your gut. And a lot of, not a lot of people know that, um, and that's very important. So it's important to nourish your body. Your body is resilient. It wants to heal itself, and it will. And that's just the biggest takeaway. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Bivens. I really appreciate you spending this time with us and sharing the information that you have. Would you like to give us some contact information in case people want to reach out to you directly? Yes. Yeah, so my... For non for profit organization is Pride and Strive Inc. org, and that's and I and I am recruiting students for anybody who wants you know help ment- mentorship basically. I can also be reached at Michael one at gmail All right, so thank you so much for that information. Thank you to everyone for tuning in to Dr. Scott's Health and Wellness Corner. I hope there was some information in this podcast that you found useful and valuable. And I hope you tune in with us once again. Everyone have a great day or a great evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Thank you for your time.